Hello, dragons. Welcome to the Plain Ordinary Dragon Podcast. If this is your first time, we want to welcome you. And if you've been here before, we want to welcome you back. Today, we're going to talk about a couple different things, but I want to start the day with gratitude. I want to say thank you to all of you who listen and share the Plain Ordinary Dragon message of you are more than enough, of a philosophy-driven life, you being amazing. Of all those things, I just want to say thank you so much to everybody who participates. And I want to start with shout-outs today. And I want to give a shout-out to Nathan. Uh, Nathan has been a supporter of the podcast since before it actually launched. Uh, We've actually been friends since years before the podcast launched and he has always been really supportive he's went out and he wrote an itunes review i wanted to say thank you nathan Uh, thank you for supporting us uh, supporting the podcast every single time i just i'm appreciative that i have folks like you out there spreading the message I also want to give a quick shout out to my friend Emma, uh, Emma Isaacs. In fact, you'll hear a little bit more about her as time goes on because she's just launched her own podcast. It's called The Creative Ways Podcast, and I highly recommend you go check it out. Uh, I I know we'll talk with her more in the future, but I I wanted to give her a shout out and say thank you so much for going out and writing a review for us on iTunes. It means a lot, and you've supported uh, Plain Ordinary Dragon since the very beginning uh, in back channel ways. Uh, Emma and I met through a mastermind group, um, I guess about a little bit more than a year ago. And, uh, she has just been super supportive and, and she has shared the, the podcast information and so forth. So I just, I just want to say thank you so very much. So that's the shout outs for today. I'm really excited that we were able to do that. I want to move on to something that's probably a little bit more pressing to all of us these days, and that is the current state of the world in the coronavirus. Uh, Again, not a news podcast. We're not going to delve into a lot of those things. We're not going to talk about anything other than a philosophical view on this, but I thought it was important for me to at least discuss this because I spent some time in my IT career doing crisis management, being on data center floors while arrays were down and needing to get them back up to get customers working again. In some cases, they weren't working at all, uh, you know, and that's a real crisis. You know, some of the companies that I've worked for uh, in the past, uh, they, you know, they'll lay out exactly what the damage is when something goes down. Uh, One of the companies I worked for told us straight up that for every every half hour that this particular piece of equipment is down it costs the company two hundred and fifty thousand dollars and so when you think about that you begin to understand that there uh, there is some crisis management that goes on when you're in the middle of those situations i know all of my it friends that have been there they understand exactly what i'm talking about here it's one of those moments where If you get called to a location to deal with a crisis, and granted, this is not, you know, to the same level of the coronavirus crisis, but I was hoping there would be a few takeaways that we could spend just a couple minutes talking about. And one of those is doing productive actions versus doing unproductive actions. I can't tell you how many times I've gone to a customer's site where we had an issue that needed to be fixed, that needed to be resolved. And uh, the customer, and rightly so, was very upset and wanted to just rip me a new one because I was the face of the company to him 
or her. And I understand that. I understand that in stressful situations, uh, we want somebody to blame. We want someone to vilify. We want to be able to funnel all of our anger, all of our frustration at a particular target. It makes it easier in some respects. But is that the most productive use of our time? Is that the best way to get to the solution that we're trying to find? Because when you're in a crisis, when you're in a situation where there is an issue, you don't, you're not able to fix it right away. And because of that, the emotions can really grow. But the, the way to resolve any of these issues, any issues that you run across is with a level-headed calmness and taking another step in the right direction, another step in the right direction. And even a step in the wrong direction can help you understand that it's the wrong direction and there's a different direction to go. So even missteps can be very helpful in situations that are stressed, that are crises. And so I wanted to talk about that just a little bit because what will happen is when I would go to a customer site and they would be very emotional about what was happening, very upset, uh, very uh, very concerned about losing revenue and other issues that come along with failures of one sort or another. One of the first things that I have to do is I have to sit down with that individual and say, look, we need to get you out of the situation that you're in. We need to move through this crisis to the other side. When we get to the other side, guess what? There will be plenty of time for a post-mortem. There will be plenty of time to point fingers. There will be plenty of time to accuse people. And there will be plenty of time to lay the responsibility of whatever happened at someone's feet and we'll have a better understanding. And so that's the first thing I have to do in those situations is I have to explain to the customer, I have to explain to the person who I'm supporting, we're going to do everything we can to get you out of the ditch. And that has to be our first priority is getting you out of the ditch, fixing the crisis. And then once that's done, then we can go back and you can yell at me and tell me how terrible I am or my company is or how we didn't meet your expectations or any of those things. And they will be very valid. But in the moment, in the crisis, that's not that's not what works. That's not what gets us out of the ditch. And I mention that because I've seen a lot of finger pointing going on, especially in the United States and especially within our government system. There are a lot of people blaming Democrats and there's a lot of people blaming Republicans and there's a lot of people blaming the president and so forth. And not that all of that is not earned and not that it is not true and not that it does not need to be spoken because it does. It absolutely does. But my question is, is now the right time for that? Is it productive? Will it move us forward? Right now, all that I can see is social distancing moving us forward. And there's some great things happening with social distancing as well. In fact, one of my friends uh, just yesterday put together a virtual open mic for a bunch of different friends. My friend Rob Appleblot, he put together a virtual open mic. And so a bunch of musicians got together and played music for each other. And a bunch of friends that hadn't seen each other in a while got to see each other. And so there are silver linings. There are productive things we can do in the meantime, other than be upset, mad, pissed off or whatever at the people who are in power, who are doing things probably to the best ability that they can. It's not going to help us to be mad at them. 
all that we can really do is try to support them as best we possibly can until we get through this. We can point out where we think things need to be done differently and so forth, but let's try to pull short. Let's try to hold, hold a modicum of, of civility and understand that we have different perspectives and we're going to try to get through this thing together. And that's the only way we can do it. So I just wanted to take a moment and say, look, I know we're frustrated. I am too. I know that not everybody's done everything perfectly. We know we've done some things poorly. We know some people have done some things poorly and we know that we need to fix it. But pointing fingers right now won't help us. And so I just wanted to, to kind of give you a little bit of insight from my time in crisis management. And I've done a good bit of it over the last 20 years of this IT career that I have. It always, always is better to do a root cause analysis after the fact than when you're in the middle of it. Because when you're in the middle of it, emotions ride high and sometimes cooler heads don't prevail. And that's what we really need to get through any crisis. So follow the CDC recommendations, wash your hands, 20 seconds, hot water, choose whatever tune you want to sing along in your head while you do that. Try not to touch your face, stay six feet away from everybody as best you can and stay in your homes. Those are the common sense things that will help us get through this. Now, on the other side, we can do a postmortem and find out where things needed to go differently. Yes, I understand. I know there are people out there screaming, people are going to die. Yeah, I know it. That's what happens in these situations. And it's not easy. And I can tell you from being someone who was dedicated as a healthcare customer engineer, uh, I had to deal with a lot of things that were nightmare scenarios because if certain services went down, people could die in the hospitals that I supported. And I understand the reality of this, but we need to know that, that we're all in this together. And if we don't, if we don't all band together, this is going to be a much, much harder road and lots more damage will be done. So let's do the best we can in the crisis to get through the crisis, to get to the other side, because I can't wait to see you guys again. All right. So I wanted to spend just a couple minutes today talking about our most precious resource. I know you've heard me say it before. I know you'll hear me say it again. Time is the most precious resource that any of us have. And that's why I'm so grateful to you when you listen to the podcast, when you share it, when you talk about it, uh, when you sign up for the newsletter, when you do those things, you know, it humbles me because you're taking some of your time for us. And I really, really appreciate that. So today I wanted to do just a couple things. First of all, I wanted to read uh, a few quotes about time. So if you would just bear with me, I'm going to read you a few that I really like. And the first one comes from Harvey McKay. Time is free, but priceless. You can't own it, but you can use it. You can't keep it, but you can spend it. Once you've lost it, you can never get it back. Now, another quote about time that I really, really, really enjoyed was one from someone named Jonathan Strain. Uh, I'm not familiar with his work, but I think this is a pretty good definition. He says, the way we spend our time defines who we are. A lot of truth to that, because whatever we do Whatever we spend our time on is building our life and what we're doing with our life. So it's a great quote. I hope you enjoyed it. 
Now, here's an anonymous quote that I really like. And I think it's pretty cute because it gives us the both sides of time. It says, the bad news is time flies. The good news is you are the pilot. I think that's great because whoever said this, they were able to give us both sides of time, both the part that we hold, that we're responsible for, as well as the fact that we can't wrestle it to our whim forever. Seneca, uh, who uh, is a cynic um, and, and, and heavily known in the cynicism world, I've learned a lot about Seneca from Tim Ferriss and his podcast, uh, but I found this was a really great quote uh, because a lot of times we, we, very, we get very concerned about our legacy and how we're going to leave things, and I think this speaks to that really well. Seneca says, life, if well lived, is long enough. You know, and that's, that's a, uh, a twist on, uh, you know, other thought processes we've had or other thought processes uh, or other thought processes are actually a twist on that, on what Seneca said, uh, because it's been around for a really long time. But I mean, basically what he's saying here is, is that, you know, if you really live life, you're going to have enough time. You're not going to be worried about how much more time you have because you'll be too busy living it. I like this next one from M. Scott Peck. Until you value yourself, you won't value your time. Until you value your time, you will not do anything with it. I'll read that one more time because I think it's really important. Until you value yourself, you won't value your time. Until you value your time, you will not do anything with it. To make sure that you do anything of value with your time means you have to value yourself first and how important you are. Now, the last one in regards to time is from Mr. Tim Ferriss himself, the, the podcaster extraordinaire. He says, lack of time is actually lack of priorities. And I, I completely agree with that on a philosophical plane, 100%. 100%. Lack of time is actually a lack of priorities. If we will take a look, if we just write down what we do every day and say, okay, I sat down and ate breakfast for this amount of time. I sat in front of the TV and watched this uh, many episodes of Modern Family. I did this. I did this. What we'll find is that we prioritize things and the things that we prioritize are the things that we do the most. And so we have to decide whether or not our priorities are watching TV, Modern Family, something along those lines, or is it playing board games with the kids and spending quality time with family? Family, with friends, playing music, you know, working on art, whatever the case may be, what's our priority? When I was in high school, I was, I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't valedictorian uh, of my class. And, and there were some interesting things in regards to GPAs and me graduating early and late and who I graduated with and all that kind of stuff. I'm not going to go into all that, but what I am going to do is say, I got to give a speech <laughs> and I talked a lot during that time frame about uh, Edward Everett. Now, you, you may not know who Ever, Ed, uh, I'm sorry, who Edward Everett is. Uh, he was a senator. Uh, he was a, a, a governor. Uh, he was a representative, and he lived uh, about the same time as Abraham Lincoln. Now, Edward Everett is well known to me. Uh, but he may not be well known to you. In fact, a lot of people don't realize that he was one of the best orators, best speakers of his day. 
And he was the one that was tagged to speak at Gettysburg, where the famous Gettysburg Address was given. In fact, they didn't know whether or not Abraham Lincoln was even going to attend that day. They didn't know whether or not the president would be there. But Edward Everett came to speak. And for two hours, he spoke. And the crowd moved with him. He took them to the highs and to the lows. There were oohs and ahs, and he had the entire audience in his hand, in his grasp. He was a great speaker, and he had a great speech. And then after he sat down, they introduced Abraham Lincoln, the President of the United States. And he spoke for a little more than two minutes. You all remember the Gettysburg Address. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation, conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Now we are engaged in a great civil war, testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. We are met on a great battlefield of that war. We have come to dedicate a portion of that field as a final resting place for those who here gave their lives that that nation might live. It is altogether fitting and proper that we should do this. But in a larger sense, we cannot dedicate, we cannot consecrate, we cannot hallow this ground. The brave men, living and dead, who struggled here have consecrated it, far above our poor power to add or detract. The world will little note, nor long remember, what we say here. But it can never forget what they did here. It is for us, the living, rather, to be dedicated here to the unfinished work which they who fought here have thus far so nobly advanced. It is rather for us to be here dedicated to the great task remaining before us, that from these honored dead we take increased devotion to that cause for which they gave the last full measure of devotion, that we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation shall have a new birth of freedom, and that government of the people, by the people, for the people shall not perish from the earth. I always tear up when I hear that. I always tear up when I hear pretty much any emotional stuff along those lines. Those few words in that order, those two minutes are what we remember from Gettysburg, from the moment where they dedicated Gettysburg, not the battle itself, obviously. Let me read to you what Edward Everett said in regards to a response to Abraham Lincoln in regards to his Gettysburg address after, after Edward had spoken. He wrote back to the president and said, I should be glad if I could flatter myself that I came as near to the central idea of the occasion in two hours as you did in two minutes. I want to challenge you. I want to challenge me. I want to challenge us all today. Let our lives be those of important things, of important moments, of two-minute speeches. Let 
those be the things that speak for us. The important parts, the time, spend the time wisely. Make sure as best you can that you're giving the two minute Gettysburg address instead of the two hour orator's delight. I know you will. I have faith in you. I know you can do it. I know if you want to, you will do it. And as always, you might be plain, you might be ordinary, but you're a dragon and we can't wait to hear your voice in this world.